Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is the history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I have two fabulous guests with me. Uh, First of all, we have Heidi Green. She's recently had the opportunity to read Saints Volume 1 and will share her thoughts and questions. Welcome, Heidi. Hi, everyone. I'm Heidi. (laughs) Want to introduce yourself just a little bit, Heidi? Sure. Uh, I'm actually from Centerville, Utah. I enjoy anything outdoors. I love skiing and running and being with my family and friends, and I'm just happy to be here today. Cool. Thank you. And we also have a PhD historian with the Joseph Smith Papers, Mason Allred. Yeah, hi everyone. Happy to be here. Mason, tell us a little bit about your background. So yeah, I studied history since my undergraduate degree, and I've always had an interest in church history, and it's such a great time right now. I was signed on with the Joseph Smith Papers Project about three years ago, and I've been loving it. Well, we appreciate you both joining us today to talk about uh, saints. Our episode today is about chapter four. Uh, Chapter four is called Be Watchful. In this episode, we're going to learn a little bit about uh, Joseph and how he met Emma. Mason, can you give us a little bit of background? What brought these two together? How did they, how did they meet? Well, it's an interesting set of circumstances because uh, Joseph is brought down along with his father to help out with basically a treasure hunt, a money dig with the Stoll family. And it's there that he stays with the Hell family, Isaac Hell, and he meets the daughter, Emma Hell, during this time. And it's an incredibly transformative period in his life. I mean, he's still figuring out what to do with this gift he has where he can look in a stone and find lost objects, deciding exactly what that means. And he meets this beautiful young woman that he's falling in love with and has to make some decisions with that as well. Well, this is any story that anybody can get behind, right? We all like a good love story. What do you think really attracted them to each other? Because obviously there's other people around. Why do you think they were drawn together? Yeah, I don't know that that's incredibly clear, but I do think that they were kind of like-minded and they had this time they were able to spend together during those periods that he was there uh, in Harmony, Pennsylvania. And he makes a few trips back and forth between New York and there. But it's clear that they, they really hit it off. And I think another um, catalyst for this love, this relationship, is the fact that her father initially um, supports this money-digging escapade and then eventually is completely against it. And so this kind of antagonism from her parents had to have been very difficult for Emma, but also for Joseph as they're falling in love and want to be together. But I also think that must have drawn them together. Uh, Heidi, was that surprising for you to learn that, you know, Emma's parents didn't really like Joseph after after a little while? At first they kind of did, but did that surprise well, you? Well, I think it's kind of interesting because in, in any relationship, I think sometimes we all have our preconceived notions towards somebody. And in the in this circumstance, it's like they're coming... And maybe a lot of times treasure hunters have a negative connotation. So in any relationship, it's kind of like you're kind of tiptoeing around like, hey, our family doesn't think this. Your family does. And so it's not really shocking because you see that kind of in your own life, in your own relationships. But I did think it was kind of interesting that, you know, they were kind of on this treasure hunting thing. And I just kind of had some questions about that. I mean, it does have a negative connotation. But what was the real reason they went there? What was that kind of like? Yeah, no, they, it's clear that they thought that there was, or they hoped that there was some sort of silver mine from Spaniards that had been left over they might be able to find if they could dig for it and have some extra help through these kind of 
what we might call folk magic practices of using rods or seer stone or something. And, and it was very clear also that many people believed, and Joseph himself knew that he had this gift where he could look in the stone and, and find and see things that were otherwise invisible to normal eyes. And so they wanted to utilize this gift and try to look for this treasure, and that's why they're there. But, you know, as it says in the chapter you read, initially, Isaac Hale is apparently supporting this. I mean, yeah, he signs off on the statement, they, he lets them stay They sign the contract in yeah. his home, he allows them to, to stay with him, right. And then after a while, he decides, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah, for whatever reason, he goes a little bit sour towards it and doesn't like it and kind of wants Joseph to choose a different occupation. And for some reason, even though Joseph is the one telling Josiah Stoll, like, let's be done with this. Let's move on. That doesn't seem to sway Emma's father. Right. And we don't have tons of information on this, but but it does sort of look like... I, I think it's a matter of sort of marrying down or marrying up, and they're really worried about their daughter, and they want her to marry someone that will look good for the Hell family. And although Joseph may be very kind, charismatic, and nice... It, this stuff that he's engaged in at that time. You're right at this period in time in American history where those kinds of practices are beginning to look kind of strange and embarrassing, and we're turning more towards a kind of modern, enlightened way of thinking about that. So kind of one foot in that, one foot in the new modern world, and I don't think that they really want their daughter to be with someone who is engaged in that, even though he's not very happy about it, right? right. He's pretty reluctant to do this, right. and he kind of wants them to stop, and we get that even in his own history. I think that's really interesting, and it's kind of relatable because we do experience that maybe even today. You know, I, don't, I, I just thought that whole story was a little bit relatable as we seek out different relationships, and it makes sense to me. I like that. They do get married, and then they head off to Manchester, New York, to live with the the Smith family. Right. Um, when they're they're in Manchester, correct me here if I'm if I'm uh, going astray, Mason. We. Joseph Smith uh, experiences a legal trial. Yeah, so a way to think about the geography is that when they're down in Harmony, Pennsylvania, I mean, later we'll translate the Book of Mormon there, but that's the kind of some of the treasure digging we know about with Josiah Stoll. Right. Uh, Although Joseph is obviously from Palmyra. Right. And the the kind of work up there then is is getting the plates. Remember, he's been thinking and doing that every year, like seeing if he's ready to get these gold plates. But down here, 150 miles south, down here in Harmony, it's a totally different endeavor. Not totally different, but a sort of parallel endeavor, and that is looking for a very different kind of treasure. Right. So that's where a charge is brought against him. Josiah Stoll's nephew doesn't like this. Josiah Stoll is totally on board. I mean, he thinks what Joseph does is amazing. But the nephew's like, I don't, it seems like you're kind of uh, uh, defrauding my father here, and he wants to bring a charge against Joseph. So let's listen to a little clip um, from the book. This is uh, from the 1826 trial uh, concerning Josiah Stoll and this this treasure uh, activity in Pennsylvania. Standing before the local judge, Joseph explained how he had found the stone. Joseph Sr. testified that he had constantly asked God to show them his will for Joseph's marvelous gift as a seer. Finally, Josiah stood before the court and stated that Joseph had not swindled him. Do I understand, said the judge, that you believe the prisoner can see by the aid of the stone? No, Josiah insisted. I positively know it to be true. Josiah was a well-respected man in the community, and people accepted his word. In the end, the hearing produced no evidence that Joseph had deceived him, so the judge dismissed the charge. What do you think about that, Heidi? Well... I think it's a pretty amazing story, but one of the things that stood out to me and I just kind of wanted to bring up is that he was only 20 years old at that time. And I just think 
if that had happened to me when I was 20, you would hope that you feel older and that you can um, deal with that kind of thing. But I can only imagine the pressure that Joseph was under at that time. And I, I just kind of related to that. I mean, there was all these claims against him, right? And I just kind of wondered what your thoughts or feelings Super were on the fact that he's for sure. so young. Yeah, I mean, these these years we're talking about, especially like 25 into 29, I mean, we're talking his late teens, early 20s. It's like when I was on a mission, right? And my life was so less dramatic than what he's dealing with here. But he's figuring out what to do with this gift. Yeah, he's, this um, charge is brought against him. It's not a full-on trial, but it seems to be some type of hearing to see if this is real. And Josiah still stands up and tells him he knows that he can do this. He has this gift. Um, and he has to kind of deal with all this at that time, is figuring out what this means. How do you use this for good, righteous purposes? Right. And some people love it, and some people hate you, and you're figuring out how to navigate that as a teenager. Yeah. Right? I mean, he found that steer stone back when he was like 16, and he's figuring out how to do this, and he's being prepared, obviously, to use these gifts for the translation of the Book of Mormon. So after that point, was he... Was that, did that kind of go away or did it follow him for the rest of his life, that trial and that kind of experience? Well, after this, it's interesting because not many people really talk about that trial until much later. I think probably because the charges are dismissed mm. um, and it kind of validates what he's doing in some way, vindicates Joseph. We don't hear much about it, but there's cer- certainly other charges that will be brought up very quickly as soon as he's working with the Book of Mormon. Okay. So it's not like he'll completely get away from the court system or these kinds of libelous charges does continue. But from this one, I think in a lot of ways he's vindicated as someone who can see things through this seerstone. He has a gift. Right. Interesting. Then we see kind of a shift in the story, right? Like, as you mentioned before, we're going to go back to Palmyra now. So Emma and and Joseph, they, they go back to New York and the, the, the focus shifts to obtaining the plates. Um, Joseph has, has known about the plates. He's visited the hill, but he hasn't, he hasn't been able to take them away. Um, let's listen to another little clip here, what Joseph did to prepare to, uh, to receive the plates. Why are you so late? His father asked. I have had the severest chastisement that I ever had in my life, Joseph said. Who has been taking you to task? demanded his father. It was the angel of the Lord, Joseph replied. He says I have been negligent. The day of his next meeting with Moroni was coming soon. I must be up and doing, he said. I must set myself about the things which God has commanded me to do. What does that tell us about about this point? What's happening with Joseph? What's he learning? Yeah, this is so fascinating because I think there's two major things happening right here. It's all towards his preparation to get these plates. Because as I said, every year he's been thinking about it. It's on his mind. He's not quite ready. Um... But an interesting thing that's brought up in this chapter um, is that originally the first visit from uh, the angel Moroni, it seems pretty clear to him that he needs Alvin to go with him to do this. Right. Right. And then two months later, Alvin dies. And so they're kind of not sure how to proceed at that point. Yeah. Who's he supposed to take with him? Exactly. But it shouldn't be Joseph alone for some reason. And it's not completely clear, but I think it's so well written in this chapter because you have a kind of theme running through it where... You know, things are aligning up with this angel Moroni, then Alvin's gone, and things are kind of out of whack, out of alignment. And then all of a sudden, um, he's, he's kind of distracted with this type of treasure, and then he comes back to the plates, and now he has Emma when he comes back to the plates, when he comes back up to New York. Right. So Emma now can take the place of what Alvin was supposedly supposed to do, or however that was supposed to work. Emma's now there. It's realigned. And I love how the whole chapter ends with him having dislocated his thumb, and they have to realign his thumb as well. You almost get it inscribed on his body, this kind of like shift of out of whack back into alignment. It's really beautifully written. Right. But you see this kind of need for um, 
God to kind of step in and help lead and guide him. But there's a lot of strange twists and turns along the way. And you can't just expect a perfect rosy story. It's the same way with his in-laws, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, and I was just going to mention that with um, his brother dying, I mean, obviously any person would feel some sort of disconnect not that he was totally disconnected but that there is it is out of whack to use your words you feel you know that that would change some things in your life and you'd have to realign and i really like that but how do you think he decided to take emma like what was the decision there that it would be her as opposed to somebody else maybe another brother his parents or somebody so he has to figure out um how to do this and he's seeking answers from god he's even using the seer stone to find out that he needs Emma to be a sort of companion to help him in this. And so she does accompany him to the hill to get the plates. She's not the one actually digging them up or talking to the angel necessarily, that's Joseph, but she is the companion to be with him for this trip to get the plates, and he figures that out from God. Yeah, and I actually like that he does have somebody with him. Think how, like, lonely. I don't know. It just, that connected with me a little bit that you wouldn't really want to do that by yourself. I don't know. I like that he had someone to be a companion to him. I'm sure it was a comfort. Like, like you said, he... The people in town know about the date. There are others um, who who are anxiously waiting for this date to happen because they're going to get it. They're going to get the treasure, you know, from from him. And uh, I I just love in the chapter when we see Emma appears in her riding clothes, right? And it's and it's basically midnight. They they get in a borrowed carriage and head off to the hill. Let's listen to another little quote here about what it was like to receive the plates. Moroni appeared, and Joseph lifted the gold plates and seer stones from the stone box. Before Joseph set off down the hill, Moroni reminded him to show the plates to no one except those the Lord appointed, promising him that the plates would be protected if he did all within his power to preserve them. You will have to be watchful and faithful to your trust. Moroni told him, or you will be overpowered by wicked men, for they will lay every plan and scheme that is possible to get them away from you. And if you do not take heed continually, they will succeed. This feels like kind of stressful, like you're being entrusted with something so huge. I can only imagine like just taking care of my own stuff. You're like watching your back, you know, with your purse or your bag or something. But he has this amazing treasure. I mean, how would you even go about protecting that? Yeah, that's the huge concern right off the bat. But I think even the way you see in this very cinematic part of the book where you have these, I mean, actual physical struggles, people hitting him, trying to stop him, trying to get the plates. Mm. As soon as he gets them, he knows how important these are. And his family does. And and back to our point of why he connects with Emma. I mean, she believes in him. And she's right. willing to help him get these and hide these, conceal these from other people who want to steal them and help him translate them. Um, but it's very clear the importance of them and the appeal and allure of them to others. And he knows he has to protect these because there's something very special about this treasure, very different than other treasures they were seeking after before this. What's it like in the community? What are people saying? What's happening? What's the gossip in town? It's tough to know because some of this stuff comes later. And so it's also filtered through the eventual translation of the Book of Mormon and then Joseph being a full-on prophet. Right. Um, but it seems like there is a certain awareness that he has this. Some people try to find them through different means, some physical, some more magical, um, to try to get these plates from him because the, the main point here is that they're gold. And anybody wants to have that in that area, obviously, at the time. But Joseph at this point is realizing the... Of course, he probably already understands this, but he's really it's really being driven home, the importance of what's on the plates more than the plates themselves. 
and that charge that he has to protect them, he takes very seriously. I think it's that in, in that context you can understand why people even in his family didn't look at them. Because we might question, like, why doesn't Emma just take a peek? Why doesn't Lucy right. Mack take a right, peek at the right. plates? But I think that when you're being um, chased by other people, when you have an angel telling you not to, when you believe in a God who could truly reward or punish maybe, I think it's very clear to them that this is a, a serious charge they have to do. And you wouldn't want to put him in danger. Like, I think if it was somebody in my own family and they're being chased and, you know, you actually have this visual of people attacking them, you'd be doing whatever you can to not draw any attention to it. Yeah, so. yeah. These, these are a people who, who know the Bible, and they really know the Bible. And they know that when there are sacred objects, those objects are meant to be treated with sacredness. They're not going to reach out and touch the ark. You know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is the ark and, in a way. And, and uh, if the Lord said, don't look, they have the faith to say, I'm not going to look. They must have understood how sacred it was and out of respect or maybe even just out of fear. Right. Would not look. Yeah. Let's go back, to just wind back just a little bit and uh, talk about the the arrival of the plates. Um, Joseph and Emma, they get they get back to the, the Smith's uh, home. And uh, Joseph Knight is actually there. It's his carriage that they borrowed to go to the hill, right? And uh, let's listen to just a little clip from the book about what I think is kind of a playful moment that Joseph has with one of his key supporters. I am disappointed, he said to Joseph Knight. Well, the older man said, I am sorry. I am greatly disappointed, Joseph repeated, his expression changing to a smile. It is ten times better than I expected. He went on to describe the size and weight of the plates and talked excitedly about the Urim and Thummim. I can see anything, he said. They are marvelous. What does this tell us about... Joseph, kind of a little peek into his personality that he's going to be a little playful with Joseph Knight about bringing home the plates. I think Mason should answer what it tells us about Joseph, but I think it's really interesting. I think that it's kind of nice to see he's humanized a little bit in that moment for me. So I really like that. And it's so great because he's so excited about this. I mean, because he's worked with the Searstone before um, and he's starting to understand exactly what these plates are about, it's almost like he goes from having maybe a tricycle to having like a Ferrari. And so overnight, he, can, he has these new seer stones that come with the interpreters that are with the plates, and he can see anything, and they seem to be sort of amplified. He's maybe even better. And now, it's not just that. It's not just they're maybe better in quality, but now he's using his gift in the way that God wants him to use it. And that must just feel so great for him. I mean, he's in a good mood talking about it. He's joking even, and I think he's really excited because he's finally gotten the plate, so he knows he's put his life in line with how the Lord wants him to live, and he's... He's making progress on this task he has to do from God. So I think he's incredibly happy. I, I love that. I think he comes away just feeling, you know, ecstatic. Like this this is the moment. I've been waiting so long for this. And he just can't help himself to, to just tease Joseph Knight just a teeny bit. Because he knows Joseph Knight has been one of his key supporters. And uh, he knows it's a big deal to him too. And, and so I just love that little playful moment with Joseph. I really liked this because to me it humanized Joseph and it also showed that he was growing into being a prophet and that he had to learn some of those things and really align himself to what the Lord would have him do. And I think sometimes we expect ourselves to just be able to jump into anything that maybe we're experiencing in our own faith or 
where we hope to be, but it's a process. And I, it kind of feels like that's what you're getting from Joseph, but also it's, he's humanized to me. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his role as prophet is certainly a process itself, like you said, right? He's learning things and growing and developing. And it didn't all just happen in that first vision, you know, back in 1820. He didn't just know exactly how these things are going to work. Right. Or maybe even that there was going to be a new church he was going to restore. He's figuring these things out and learning. And the Lord is teaching him line upon line as he goes along. And so we have this great moment where he's made a, a huge step forward. And he must feel that. He knows this. And this is the way he narrates in his history, right? I've had these foibles of my youth. I was figuring things out. But then he gets the plates, and he's married to Emma, and he has a sense of where he's headed. And there's a huge moment for him to start to learn what it means to be a prophet who has the gift of seership, who's going to restore the gospel. Absolutely. And in a way, it's a little bit playful as well. I love the fact that saints allows us to see this growth. It's one of the things that that if you're a member of the church, um, you know, new, or you've been in the church your whole life, if you haven't had an opportunity to really read and study more about the church history, you you don't realize Joseph didn't walk home on a beautiful sunny day with the gold plates under his arm and Oliver was waiting there to translate. You know, that's not how it worked. And I just I love the fact that we get to to learn more about about Joseph, about his experience, and really about how the Lord chose to raise a prophet and teach him line upon line. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Mason, so much for for sharing that perspective with us. And thank you also, Heidi, for being with us here today. Thank you. Uh, It's been a pleasure to be with you. Uh, To learn more about saints, you can always go to saints.lds.org, where you can see the latest updates, chapters, uh, video topics, and more. You can read saints in the church history section of the Gospel Library. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast and many others at mormonchannel.org. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days. See you next time.